Okay, the Bible reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Um, Total love for enemies. It's uh, in the words of Jesus. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would like them, have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Just as we come to God's word, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Now, Father, your word says that the fear of the Lord, the fear of you, is the beginning of wisdom. So we pray that you'll help us to fear you rightly this morning, to hear your word. Uh, we confess that we are so good at hearing your word, but we can also be so good at being complacent. We pray that your word would do its work and take root in our lives, that we may indeed be followers of the Lord Jesus. Followers not just in theory, but living that out. We thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you that you've not left us alone. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the church community as encouragement. And we thank you that you graciously are the one who has changed us inwardly and continue to do that. So we thank you now for the opportunity of thinking and putting into practice what you've given to us. Amen. Uh, recently I was at a, a lecture at Morling College. I do a chaplaincy and spiritual care course there. And in the lecture there were nine people. There were eight women and myself. Uh, the lecturer gave the option at one time and said, you can come late the following day if you'll take some work home to do. Otherwise, you can stay now and do the work. Well, all the women opted for the option of being able to take the work home and come in late the following day. And jokingly, I said, I may vote for doing it in class because everyone needs to be in agreement and my would have power. Well, one woman turned around and looked at me and she said, you are a man, you already have power. That floored me. I wanted to defend myself. You don't know me. It hurt. I thought, I'm not a chauvinist. And as that went around in my mind, trying to process 
I realised what she said was true. Men generally have more power in this world. Initially, I was convinced that she was wrong. Yet the reality is that my view was biased. I'm a man. I look at the world through my eyes. To accept any change required reflecting and letting my preconceptions be challenged. And yet when our views are questioned, the tendency is to initially dismiss, to minimise, to deny, because the information doesn't fit into my worldview and therefore I will not take it on board. I imagine those who heard Jesus' words to love their enemies would have had a similar reaction. You can't be true. That's not right. I imagine they would dismiss them or minimise them. Or at least that was the temptation to. Last week, Ange spoke on those who are blessed and those who are under judgment or blessed and woe. Blessed are you who are poor. Woe to you who are rich. It's a turning upside down of what the world sees as important. So what's unimportant now is on the top. Blessed are you who are poor. Woe to you who are rich. And this turning upside down of the world's values continues in verses 27 to 36. And I want to look at three things today from this passage. Who is my enemy? How do I love my enemy? And what is my motivation for loving my enemy? Who is my enemy? In that lecture, had I been asked before the woman made her comment, had I been asked, do I see myself as having power? I would have said no. Similarly, I wonder if I asked you, do you see yourself as having enemies? I imagine some of you may be honest, but generally most of you would say, no, I don't have any enemies. For enemies, enemies speak about hostility. People who oppose us. Enemies are like the Israelis and Palestinians. Do you have any enemies? We distrust enemies. Enemies we want to keep at a distance because there's a fear that they will hurt us. And if they do, then we want to retaliate. If not in action, we replay scenarios in our mind to show that we are actually better. Do you have enemies? Well, Jesus shows us a way. For Jews in the first century, a neighbour was considered anyone who was part of your family or local community. Leviticus said, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. The Jews interpret that anyone not among your people, 
therefore was to be avoided. Anyone not among your people was to be seen as an enemy. Those among your people are neighbours. Those not among your people are enemies. The Jews developed a clear boundary to determine who were neighbours or enemies. When Jesus told the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, his hearers would have expected that both the priest and the Levi would have bypassed the man. That was the right course of action. For you see, this man, this victim who was lying on the ground, he had no clothes on to identify him as to which clan he belonged to. And he was unconscious, so he could not speak, and therefore they couldn't de determine his dialect as to whether they were from his community. And therefore, he's not among your people. So this victim is an enemy. And therefore, it's right for the priest and Levite to bypass. But Jesus redefined who my neighbour is. Anyone in need that I come across. And Jesus redefined who my enemy is. Anyone not in my circle of friends. Anyone not in my family. That's Jesus' definition of an enemy. And yet, his definition broadens out, I think, a little bit more also. Because when he gives an examples, which we'll see in a minute, he speaks of those who oppose, those who curse or hit or take. So we could say an enemy is anyone not in my circle of friends that I'm in good relationship with, but who oppose me in some way or I find difficult to relate to. We often think of as an enemy as someone who lives beside us and we've had a property dispute for the last 10 years and they're so belligerent and they won't listen to anything and they hate us and they do all these things to us, that person may be an enemy. But under Jesus' definition, the relative I haven't spoken to for some years because of something happened is an enemy. The person who works, who's a bully, is an enemy. The couple up the street who are part of the LGBTIQ community is an enemy. The person in church who's a bit awkward and I don't want to spend time because I don't want to get caught up in their issues so I avoid them, is an enemy. Or the person with dogmatic views, and I don't want to talk because we'll just end up in an argument. For Jesus, those who are not in my circle of friends classify as being an enemy. But I'm pushing that out a little bit and say those who are opposed and not in my circle of friends. Now I could say the whole 99% of the world would fall in that category. 99% of the world are not part of my community and many of them don't hold Christian views, so therefore in that sense, they could be classified as enemies. 
But Jesus seems more concerned with those who are in my sphere of connection. Not just people out there, but the people who I interact with. But I'm estranged from. I say this because Jesus' examples are of people in close proximity. Somebody is close who is able to slap someone on the cheek. Somebody is close that they can take someone else's coat. There is personal impact. A lady from a church where I used to be at was part of a church diaconate. And she found another deacon in the diaconate harsh and opinionated. She didn't find it easy to relate to him. So she avoided talking to him. She would actually come to meetings late so she didn't have to have small chit-chat before the meetings and she would leave early. At church, she avoided sitting near him. She actually found herself relieved, she shared with me, when she came to diaconate meetings and he was on holidays. There was a sense of a burden. Her avoidance of him her loathing of him from what Jesus said is that he had become an enemy. I want you to take a minute and think of someone who may be an enemy for you. Someone who was not in your close circle of friends who you get on well with. Maybe someone who has hurt you and you're keeping a distance. Think of somebody, someone who you avoid. Jesus says, love your enemies. Well, what's it look like? What's it look like to love our enemies? We read in Jesus' words from verse 27, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We would do well to read that slowly. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. How confronting is that? How challenging. Jesus said to love our enemies by doing good to those who hate you blessing those who curse you, praying for those who mistreat you. When Jesus uses the word love, it's the word that is used of God. It describes God's love. It is the love that initiates. It doesn't respond, but it actually initiates in giving, in being sacrificial and selfless. It initiates in committing oneself for the good of the other. 
To love our enemies is actually unnatural for human beings in our human nature. It can only be done as God transforms someone's heart. Interestingly, the you in verses 27 to 28, it's plural. It's a principle Jesus is giving. We are to do good, bless and pray for those who oppose us. But in verses 29 to 30, the you becomes singular. Jesus gives specific examples of how to respond when we are opposed or slandered or mistreated. Jesus does not allow us to theoretically love our enemies, but calls us to do so personally and with action. I've taken this illustration from a a book Kent Hughes wrote. After the collapse of the Berlin Wall, there was no person more hated in East Germany than a man called Erich Honecker for his human rights abuses. He was a, a communist dictator within East Germany. But after... After the collapse of the Berlin Wall, he was stripped of his role. He was ejected from the Communist Party. And because he lived in a, a home that was supplied by them, he was taken out of his home. So the Honickers were homeless and destitute. There was a pastor, Pastor Hugh Olmer, who was the director of a Christian centre in Berlin, and became aware of the Honickers' situation. Uh, He provided housing for some people who didn't have very much and he thought it was wrong to allow someone, uh, um, Eric Honecker, to have the place of somebody else who provided, uh, who who was needy. So this pastor, Hugh Olmer, decided to take Hugh Honecker and his wife into his own home. Eric Honecker's wife, Margot had ruled the East German educational system for 26 years. Eight of the pastor's ten children had been turned down for higher education due to her policies, which discriminated against Christians. And yet, despite their hatred of Christians, Hugh Olmer took this couple into his own home cared for his personal enemy. What was so unnatural in human nature was so Christ-like. By the grace of God, the Holmers loved their enemies. They did good to them. They blessed them and prayed for them. They turned the other cheek by allowing them into their home. They did to the Honickers what they have wished the Honickers had done to them. Jesus calls those who are in his kingdom. And if you're a follower of Jesus and trust in the Lord Jesus, you're in his kingdom. He calls those in his kingdom to live with downside-up values. 
The values that the world does not champion, Jesus turns upside down. And he calls those who are in his kingdom to turn upside down and live not with the world's values, but actually with what it is that reflects his kingdom. In the world, it is normal when treated with vengeance to seek retribution. But in God's kingdom, what is done for harm is turned around by doing good, by blessing and praying for their enemies. As you thought of someone before, someone who, from Jesus' definition, would fall into being an enemy for you, how could you be Christ-like to them? How could you reflect kingdom values in the way that you do good and pray for them? Well, what's, what's my motivation? Uh, it almost seems, as we read this, we can understand some people thinking that Jesus calls Christians to be doormats. Just lay down and die and let people walk all over us. So if someone hits you, don't defend yourself, just say, have another go. Do it again. If you find someone actually stealing your computer, don't run after and take it. Say, here's my passwords. And yet in John 18, Jesus was struck by an official in the temple court. And we don't read Jesus says, here's the other cheek if you want. Jesus is not saying don't take steps to defend yourself, but rather as people who belong to God's kingdom, reflect kingdom values. He's not saying capitulate, but be motivated by God's love and seek your enemy's best. We read in verses 32 to 36, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those for, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. The you in these verses returns to plural. Jesus moves back to stating a principle. If we seek to love those who we already know love and treat us well, where is the selfless giving in that? Where is the sacrifice in that? That's reflecting the world's values in loving. Rather, we're called to reflect Christ, doing good to those who don't deserve it. Jesus says in verses 35 and 36, then your reward will be great and you will be like you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. 
Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Stuart Colton was the principal of Sydney Missionary Bible College. He, he's not now. He, he stepped down a year or a year and a half ago. Uh, he lived in Newtown when he went to Moore College. And he lived beside people, his neighbours, who didn't like the Coultons and sought to make life difficult for them. They would play loud music. There would be intrusions into their yard without being invited. And constantly, they would have the hose hosing water on the, to the Coulton's roof. After some months of trying to converse and seek to be friends and seeking reconciliation for what they sure not was what they weren't sure what they'd done wrong, they finally called the police. And the police arrived one day and the housing had stopped. So eventually, the police talked to the neighbours, and then they left. And after they left, the housing began again. But the police had just driven down to the corner, and they came back and caught them housing. Because of other issues that the man had been uh, involved in, he was taken and arrested and ended up spending time in jail. The Coultons cared for the wife and eventually invited their, into her into their home for a Bible study. They regularly took her to visit her husband in jail. And when finally released, he had softened and began coming to the Bible study also and became a believer. The true motivation for loving our enemy is because as God's enemies, we were shown mercy and forgiveness. We were enemies of God. And so we are to do likewise to those who are our enemies. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? As those who have received much, we are now to reflect the family likeness. Not in theory, not holding the truth, yes, we are to love our enemies, but actually in practice. Take a moment to think of that person who you thought of before. What would it mean for you to pray for them, to pray God's blessing upon them, to ask God for something you could do good for them? to reflect the family likeness. I want to close by saying, I suspect for myself, and maybe for you too, one of the struggles we have in loving our enemies, especially in allowing our enemies to seek, almost to take advantage of us, is that I still see this world as my home and my security. 
I still value what this world offers. I don't actually think of my value being with Christ. And so what I see is important, I want to hold on to. But if my value is in Christ, then I will hold more onto him. And those things, which will pass away anyway, will not have the same value. God says, or Jesus says, turn the values upside down. What the world doesn't value is now on top. Live for the king. Please let me pray and ask that God will help us not just to be hearers of his word, but to be doers also. Now, Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that through the Lord Jesus, we have the very words of you, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we thank you that through your word, you continue to speak to us. We thank you for those who trust in the Lord Jesus that we are part of your kingdom. We thank you for your work within us that has transformed us inwardly, giving us the desire to live for you. We pray that you'll help us to work that out, to make choices to live for the values of your kingdom rather than for the values of this world. We're sorry that we so easily find our security in this world. Now, Father, please help us. We can be so good at hearing your word and then walk away and forgetting. Would you please do your work in our lives and help us not just to hold your word in theory, but to live it out in practice. Amen.